Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For the 60th episode of our podcast, I interviewed Shimon Elkabetz, co-founder and CEO of Climacell. After 11 years in the Israeli Air Force, it was multiple near-death experiences that prompted Shimon's passion for the weather. This passion ultimately led him and his co-founders to start Climacell, a company that has a very ambitious mission to map all the weather data in the world. They are combining hypersensing technologies that use high-performance computing, which allows the company to provide weather forecasts that are much more accurate. Examples of their customers are major companies like JetBlue, Delta, and Autodesk. The company recently raised $45 million in Series B funding, and their total funding to date is now $65 million. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Shimon's experience in the Israeli Air Force and what it taught him about leadership, the evolution and details behind the weather forecasting industry, which is quite fascinating, Climacell's business and how they're working on building the world's largest weather platform, advice for entrepreneurs on raising funding in the early days of a business in a unique market, how he evaluates talent and why founders should never compromise on the quality of people hired at the company, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note, we are now at episode 60, which is so unbelievable. We have such an amazing collection of stories and useful advice from so many great entrepreneurs and investors. Thus, I have one favor to ask of you. Please tell one person you know out there about this podcast. Recommendations and word of mouth is a powerful way to get the word out there. So all I'm asking is just sharing this with one person. It's that simple. Thanks so much for your help. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Shimon. Shimon, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So um, excited to talk to you because what you're doing uh, is an amazing, uh, you know, just new frontier as it relates to weather forecasting. And where I am today, it's actually dumping snow in the middle of November. But anyways, <laughs> let's, uh, which I'm like, what is going on? But anyways, let's, uh, let's, let's go way back. Like, where did you grow up? Uh, what did your parents do for work? Great. Yes. Yeah. So I grew up actually in Israel. We didn't have snow in November uh, sometime <laughs> at all. Uh, so I, I came to Boston uh, about three years ago, actually, to do a, a master's degree here in the, in Harvard. And um, most of my career, I was in the Israeli Air Force. Um, and that's my, my background. I'm so what does that teach you, though? Like Israeli Air Force, like, I mean, it's, it's like 11 years, right? Yeah, it's quite a it's, it's quite a period of time to spend in one place, but uh, it you know to be honest, it gave me a lot. Um, from uh, first of all, it's an organization with uh, amazing culture, um, and I think I learned a lot about how to move processes, how to make sure that things are done within a specific time budget uh, um, with very specific goals. I think it brought me a lot of the things that I'm I'm using today, um, a lot of managerial uh, uh, skills. More than anything, uh, I really like the people. I was going to say, like, did it teach you uh, how to be an effective leader? I believe so. I think you know any experience. Uh, it doesn't matter, by the way, which. Uh, first of all, any military experience eventually, you know, it, it can be not so nice experience. But any veteran, whether it's in the U.S. military or in the Israeli one or any other military. Eventually, it puts you in situations where um, your leadership skill uh, is really evolved, and 
you take many lessons that if you uh, know how to adjust it to the civilian life, it, it's it's a great benefit and a great gift. Now, if you go to Climacell's website on your bio, it actually talks about your interest in weather was from multiple near-death weather-related experiences. I had to ask, so tell, like what, we got to talk about at least one of them. <laughs> like what happened? Yeah. So look, weather is so unexpected, right? Um, and if you take it to the world of aviation, there are basically uh, a few uh, uh, phases of, of any flight where uh, weather can become really, really, really important. Usually it's in the takeoff, in the landing, sometimes even in the taxi. Um, and I had more than one event that I can remember that basically um, the weather on a real-time basis was surprisingly more severe than it was expected in the wrong time, in the wrong place. Um, and um, as we started looking at solutions to uh, weather monitoring without even thinking about predicting, you know, at the beginning we were just thinking about how can we monitor weather better? How can we display it on maps? So, um, experiences like we had in the past can be avoided. Um, so that really connected my all the dots from my history and the places where I saw that uh, weather can really uh, become a dangerous factor. Um, and that was my my passion. Uh, so I'm 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 a big weather data consumer from my my history. Um, so I'm a geek to, to some degree uh, on that aspect. Um, and it's a real passion. And why did you decide to to go to B school, like go to Harvard Business School? So, um, you know, after 11 years where I did several managerial positions, I was really looking for my next step. Um, and the B school was really a mean uh, to uh, start my my new my new chapter in life. And I was looking uh, to start a technological company. I was uh, preparing myself for that for a couple of years. Um, and I, I thought that doing that while in business school can be a pretty good experience um, where I can combine, you know, some some things that I don't know about business. Uh, you know, business school doesn't teach you a lot, uh, but it does give you frameworks if you're coming outside of that world of business completely. Um, and I was very lucky. Um, and, you know, luck is a, it's a combination of preparation and opportunity. So I was prepared. And when I had the opportunity, um, I took advantage of it and uh, started the company together with uh, Ray and Itai. And how did you know that you wanted to start a tech company? So that goes really, you know, way back. Uh, I remember the first time I uh, got a computer from my parents um, and started playing with uh, all kinds of softwares. And that's how I, you know, started playing with the graphic uh, uh, design softwares and things like that. And as long as I remember myself, I knew I'm going to do something, create a product. Uh, more than just creating a company that that you know was less of an ambition, but creating something that is useful for people was always my passion. And then you know, as as an Israeli, uh, when I was eighteen, I joined the military like everyone else. Um, so that was put on hold. And in the first opportunity I had, I came back to the track of trying to accomplish that dream. Very very cool. Let's talk about the the history of of weather and the current. 
um, you know, ways that we monitor the weather with things like AccuWeather and the weather company. So what, like, why hasn't the technology improved or evolved? I mean, that's what you're trying to solve here, but like, why are these legacy companies, like from what I've gathered, they use the same data to predict the weather, right? Even though they're different brands or media companies. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say that the technology, uh, you know, hadn't evolved. Uh, the opposite. I think that today it's it's quite amazing to see that we can know on a relatively high resolution what will be the weather in the next few days, and this is incredible. The entire so I highly recommend to anyone who's interested in weather to uh, hear the audible of Michael Lewis, "The Coming Storm." Okay. Uh, it tells a lot about history. I think uh, in the United States, NOAA has done incredible job. Uh, we're talking about 12,000 people, very talented, humble, working hard. One of those agencies that are under, you know, not appreciated enough for the contribution of what they brought to humanity and to the United States specifically. Um, and I think that the technology evolved a lot. Uh, I do think that the um, uh, weather companies, uh, they have a few issues that we're trying to uh, basically uh, Let's let's use the word the word uh, disrupt, which I don't like. But so first of all, uh, they started as services companies, right? Not as technology companies. And and early at uh, the beginning, they were basically repackaging uh, the the governmental data. Um, and uh, the innovation is not uh, the level of innovation that you would expect from technology companies like the standard technology companies you you see today. And uh, what what has changed in the recent years? First of all, the cloud. The cloud is enabling today many companies to experiment with running models, mm-hmm. with doing statistical analysis on models, um, things that in the past you really need you really needed to have like supercomputers or uh, a lot of storage or a servers room. Today, anyone anywhere can get public data, play with it, and, and start a weather company. Um, so that's, I think, one one development. The second thing is that many technologies around us are enabling uh, a lot of uh, sensing techniques to uh, um, to appear suddenly, and this is what climate is mostly focused on: how to find ways to sense the environment um, without deploying any hardware. So that's uh, something that you couldn't do back in the '90s, but you can do today. Thanks to the connectivity, IoT, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that's uh, the second development that I I would say or or mention. Uh, the third is even within the cloud, you see all kind of developments around um, um, pro- processing, whether it is GPUs or HPC. So all kind of um, um, computing uh, techniques that today enable you to experiment with uh, a big chunk of data and to get to better results. Um, another piece is that, you know, the government did, in the U.S. at least, a pretty good job at making this data accessible, right? So everyone can look at the public data, play with it. It's free. Although some companies in the past actually tried to block other companies from playing with it, tried to block the, the public from playing with it. So uh, thankfully, uh, they didn't accomplish that, and uh, the data is still public, and anyone can use it. So... To get to a level of a baseline data today, when the data is available, you can you can go to the uh, NOAA website and you can 
connect to all kinds of APIs. You have the cloud to experiment with. The threshold to uh, become a weather company is not as high as it was in the, in the past. Um, now the secret is how do you go and make something special, not just the baseline and what everybody else has. And so Climacell, so what do you do and how are you different? Yeah. So I think that uh, um, in general, what Climacell is trying to do is to build the biggest uh, weather platform out there. Um, and what is a platform when you think about it? Uh, it's something scalable that enables uh, uh, multi-applications to be built upon. And um, one analogy I like using is like Google Maps. Um, it's basically a product, but it is also a platform, which is global, scalable. It enables businesses to uh, incorporate or embed maps within their softwares or products. Um, and uh, although the accuracy in Boston is not is, is is very high of Google Maps versus the accuracy in some village in South America, it is still a platform that can be used everywhere. Um, we're trying to build a platform, you know, the default uh, weather platform for any business. Uh, our vision is to map all the weather data in the world and to become the default solution for any business that needs to incorporate weather data or to use a weather software. So practically, what we're doing is divided to three uh, areas. The first one is how to create weather data. So the entire weather industry is repackaging the free governmental data, and that creates uh, two main issues. The first issue is uh, around accuracy, because if the data sources that you have are limited, then the accuracy is limited. The second piece is around uh, coverage. If you don't have sensors everywhere, then you don't sense everywhere. Um, so this is one problem that we're solving here. And the way we solve it is by inventing ways to sense the environment. And basically, we're able to shift the uh, curve of, of accuracy and coverage to a place where even the government couldn't uh, uh, solve it today. So I'll just give you an example. A couple of hours ago in Detroit airport and in Detroit metro area, the Nexroad system couldn't see that it is snowing. <laughs> you look at Climacell uh, wireless network, and you could see snow. Uh, we have customers over there, and they actually reported snow. You looked at the meter station in the airport, it reported snow. So that's incredible, you know, right. software-based. Um, the nice thing about this aspect of the company is that you go to any developing country um, that doesn't have the governmental uh, infrastructure that NOAA has created here in the U.S. or ESMWF and the other uh meteorological uh, local agencies in Europe created. And you use Climacell techniques and you basically brings the, bring those countries to a level of very high uh, weather data, very high accuracy of weather data. So that's this is one piece of the company. The second piece of the company is modeling. Uh, so we're creating weather models. We're using public weather models, of course, but we're also creating our own weather models for real time, for short term, for long term. And those models uh, are uh, all about improving the accuracy, of course. Um, they're uh, intended to be more actionable. So for example, in the short term, the models are more minute by minute instead of hour by hour with percentage of, of precipitation. We're trying to say, 
uh, rain will start in this location at 1.15, for example. Um, and the way we do it is by, um, first of all, leveraging our own data sources to initiate the models. Uh, so our initial condition is more accurate than other companies' initial condition. Uh, the second piece is that we're using uh, um, GPUs and HPC and all kind of things to make sure that uh, the models runs the models uh, run fast, uh, so we'll have high refresh time. The third piece of the company is really about building products on top of our technology. So whether it is our micro weather API that we launched recently or whether it is the um, uh, hypercast software that has all kinds of modules like uh, the aviation module um, that are more verticalized type of softwares that, that use our uh, weather data um, or the consumer app that we're going to launch uh, next year. That was actually going to be one of my questions. Like, are you going to have your own consumer app? So that's coming. Stay tuned. Yeah. It is, and it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, it's going to start as a, um, let's call it plain weather data app, but one that can really go granular and global. Mm -hmm. So not only in the US, like there are some nice apps in the US, but nothing is really global in its capabilities. And we're going to leverage our data to, to make sure that our app is global. Um, but this is only phase one. Phase two will be more surprising and we'll have some very interesting additions to the app. Stay tuned. Yeah. So how did you figure this out? Like, how did you figure out how to, to you know, the tech, technical side of things? Like, how did you and your co-founders figure out that there's a better way to do it? We didn't. You know, it's not, um, uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say, hey, uh, we were so smart that we found out everything alone and in day one and... And it was, you know, some kind of uh, manual that we were just, uh, everything is clear. I think any good company starts with one idea and some companies stick to that idea. Others really uh, able to take the initial idea and to build on top of that idea a whole vision and to expand from a technical idea to a vision that is much, much bigger from the technical idea. So if at the beginning we were looking, as I remind, uh, you know, the um, the way to embed accurate weather data on a navigation tool for pilots or for drivers. And then we, you know, now we're doing predictions, not only monitoring, and we're doing products on top of it, not only the data. So the vision really, really uh, grow. And there are many aspects of the vision that I haven't uh, talked about, but, but uh, we will uh, expose in the future. So... Bottom line, this is not something that happens within a day. This is something that um, I, I, if I had to say to anyone, when you start a company, you have to get as far as possible from the technical solution and try to stick as much as possible to the problem. If you're trying to solve a problem, then everything else is details, right? It doesn't matter how you solve it. Uh, you'll find all kinds of ways. You're not. You don't have to be married to one technique or to one solution. And this is what we did really, really well. So yeah, we uh, heard about this technology specifically with the uh, wireless uh, networks that uh, Itai, the, one of the co-founders, was part of a research group that dealt with it. But very, very fast. 
it became just one feature in our portfolio of technologies. Um, and I think we were uh, uh, clever not to uh, make this uh, the center of the company. And how does your business model work as, you know, like, I'm assuming companies are paying you for access to your platform and data for predictions or like, so is there like a, a good example of a use case? I mean, you talked about you know an airport in Detroit, but if you can you know give an example of how a customer is using your platform and, you know, how the business model works. Yeah, I think the business model is the simplest uh, piece of climate. So uh, there are many complicated <laughs> things around the company that the product piece and the go-to-market is relatively easy. Um, so uh, when it comes to uh, Hypercast, which is our dashboard, it's a SaaS model, right? We sell subscription to a software um, and we price it uh, depending on the vertical per seat or per airport or per um, you know uh, uh, tournament, doesn't matter what. Um, but we find a way to uh, make sure that the pricing makes sense from uh, an ROI perspective, of course. Um, and the data side, it's really an API kind of transaction. Um, so unless we're talking about a mega partnership with the big com- with one of the big companies, then uh, usually you pay by the volume or by the uh, if you take our data and you build a whole product just around our data, of course we would like to see a bigger piece of the pie. But uh, uh, in general, it's 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 an API. And how do you get? You know the the early adopters, like the first customers. You know you're, you're launching this product and you have this solution, like going to market initially. Like how do you get your first early adopters? Yeah, so uh, of course this is the biggest challenge for any startup, right? Uh, how to make uh, someone uh, uh, try what you're doing. So um, I think again. Fall in love with a pro- with a problem. This is not something I I invented. You know, it's I'm just quoting someone else's. Specifically, I think it's uh, Waze uh, uh, founder. Uh, once you're looking at the problem and you face a customer, the conversation should be around what is the problem that you're facing? What is the damage? What if we could provide you a better solution? What will be the ROI of that? Once the conversation is logic, uh, logical, and and basically, um, the the customer definitely identifies a potential ROI. It is relatively easy to let to get the customer to at least pay, uh, try your your software, right? Because the problem is there, and around whether I I don't think we ever met a customer who told us, ah. Eh, I'm I'm fine with what you have uh, <laughs> right now. Weather predictions are good enough. I don't need to know better mm-hmm. what's going to happen. It doesn't exist. Everybody wants better. Now, of course, you can't overpromise. We're not God. We're not even Noah. Um, it's really hard uh, to improve what's already out there. But we're doing that. You know, slowly. Um, it's all about calibrating expectations with customers, saying exactly, you know, don't expect it all the time don't expect it with all the parameters um explaining the pitfalls admitting when you're wrong and trying to get feedback i think this is how you can get the trust of early adopters um and if you try to make uh, a lot of money from day one i'm not sure that this is the right way to go about such innovative technology and the other you know challenging thing for a lot of founders is the fundraising process 
And you know, your your company has you know raised a total of sixty five million in funding, with your most recent round being forty five million. Your Series B just uh, announced recently, but how did you get those early investors, like those first investors? Like, did you go in selling this vision of this platform that we're you know going to you know be this massive company? Like, because you know it's a, it's a different type of technology where you know it's it's predicting weather, right? That's not something that you know, most, uh, I think investors would have a thesis around. Yeah. I think, um, early investors, um, if they do their work, right. What they need to look for is a real problem and a good team. Mm -hmm. If the team is capable to understand the problem, to come from a background that really, really knows the problem, right. We're not like, uh, people who were, uh, uh, playing volleyball at the beach. And then we said, all right, let, let's try to solve the aviation weather problems. We, we come from this world. We know exactly what's going on. So there's a connection between the problem and the team and the team is capable and the problem is big enough. Then I believe that it is most of the time a very good signal to invest in a company when it's early on. From raising your first capital, now it becomes... Uh, another game, a game of execution, all right? What did you promise? What what did you set as milestone? And what did you achieve in the time and the budget that you got? Um, if you set the right milestones that are really meaningful for the business and you did everything right to get to those milestones, sometimes you can do everything right, by the way, and completely fail. You know, you can have competitors that, that are luckier or in the right timing. You can be in the wrong timing, there are many, many reasons, good reasons to fail, even if you're very, very good at what you're doing. But I think that uh, if you are um, showing consistent performance um, uh, based on the plan, based on uh, uh, the things that you want to achieve and you know how to pivot, but still be focused on solving the problem and not on a specific business plan, then I think this way you can you you gain the trust of of investors and you can really take your company to the next step. Team building. That's the other really hard part hiring, you know, bringing yeah, the right people in. Yeah. So, yeah. so how, how have you figured like, like what, what, how do you evaluate talent to bring them into your company? So there are two, uh, two things to look at, right? Personality and skills. Um, my biggest uh, advice to any any hiring manager and any any founder is never compromise on people. Always, you know, make sure you have both. Uh, when it comes to skills, it's pretty straightforward. Look for A players, right? People who really know what they're doing. Um, and if you have the option to hire 10 mediocre uh, engineers or two really, really good engineers, go for two. Uh, that's on the skill side. On the personality side, I have one thing that I'm looking at. Um, and from that one thing, I'm looking at, you know, the derivative factors of that, right? So, for example, uh, what I'm looking at specifically is this person behave like a partner. When someone behaves like a partner, that's someone can overcome his or her ego, and do the right thing for the company, uh, can be a teammate, and in general, uh, understand the big picture 
and do whatever it takes for the company to succeed. It means high energy. It means uh, collaboration. And it's very, very easy when you look at, at your entire team and you ask that very simple question, is this a partner or not? You can filter a lot uh, from the personality um, uh, traits. Now, of course, that this is a very simplistic way to look at it. We have a whole uh, performance indicator. We call it CTI, um, uh, which is Climusal CTI. It's basically character, talent, and interpersonal skills that we've mapped, things that we appreciate as a company. And, and this is the culture we're, we're striving to have. We don't always succeed, of course. Um, so uh, by doing that, by mapping those things, by creating a vision of culture from early on, we, we knew how to, uh, how to at least uh, filter during uh, hiring and how to provide feedback and how to choose um, basically the, who's, who's the, the, the next person to promote within the company. And by the way, we're getting better at it. Like two years ago, we were pretty bad in doing that and you know i think we got pretty good in the last uh, uh six to 12 months and as we started uh, a new office uh in tel aviv i think uh, we implemented a lot of the lessons how many employees do you have now so about 70. and what's your plan as far as growth around headcount um in the next six months uh, we plan on being around 100 people um maybe a little more um and by the end of 2019 probably get to 120 to 150 um so that's the high level plan that's great what i think is also really interesting about the the boston tech ecosystem is the number of israeli founded companies that have you know maybe they started their roots in Israel, but then moved the headquarters to Boston. I mean, there's so many successful companies and a lot of them are security, but not just security, but uh, there's just a, a very strong nucleus of Israeli founders in Boston. Yeah. In general, I think Israel is, uh, you know, it's the startup nation, mm -hmm. many founders, many entrepreneurs. Um, I think the ratio of founders to investors is <laughs> the biggest uh, out there. <laughs> so it's not just Boston, to be honest, it's uh, New York. Uh, the Bay Area, um, and the thing is that Israel creates a lot of great technologies, um, but the market is very slow, very, very uh, small. Uh, however, you know the market in Israel is just like New Jersey, basically. Um, the U.S. market is by far the most developed, the biggest in terms of opportunities. So many companies come to those places because it's right to have the headquarter here. Now, specifically, Climacid is a completely American company that started here in Boston. Mm -hmm. So unlike most of the uh, Israeli-founded companies in Boston or elsewhere in the U.S., um, the majority of our engineering is here. So all the uh, uh, science piece, uh, all the new technologies, uh, the data engineering, it's all here in Boston. It's very unique for well, an Israeli-founded startup, yeah. Yeah, a lot of them have their engineering over in Tel Aviv or somewhere, and then they plant sales and customer success over here, exactly. marketing. Yep. Yeah, so we're very different on that aspect. Well, as uh, Shimon mentioned, Climacell is hiring. They're growing very aggressively, especially for their Boston team. So you can go to their biz page on VentureFizz uh, and check out all the job openings. But Shimon, thank you so much for taking the time for sharing your background and 
definitely giving me more, more of an education around the weather technology space and, and how we can look forward to uh, better predictions in the future. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and uh, appreciate the time. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.